With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 23 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Brian Joyner. Uh, Brian with a Y. Um, for the first time in like a month and a half or so. So, uh, Brian, how's it going? Uh, it's good. Also, Joyner with an I. You have to you have to say Brian with a Y, Joyner with an I. Is it, people, is it more common? Those. Um... Yes, I think. So you're yeah, just as a name, just difficult. because it's just no, it's because of FloJo and Jackie Joyner Hersey. That's the only reason. Oh well, if it's oh Flo and Joe, Mario Joyner and Tom Joyner, anyhow. Well, anyhow, you can find Brian with a Y and Joyner with an I uh, on Twitter uh, at Brian Joyner um, with both of those grammatical. Uh, persuasions um and he also writes at bp boston and over the monster so that was a that was a really muddled intro uh there but um you know we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about today so for everybody out there come stay a while listen um we're coming off one of the biggest wins of the season um and a game that i absolutely geeked out about and i think that uh, pretty much everybody on the Twitterverse involved in Red Sox baseball, um, our, our collective minds were just blown by this back-and-forth slugfest on Sunday. Uh, it was a heck of a game. Um, ultimately, a whole bunch of things happened, but the, my biggest takes from the game were um, a really super meaningful home run uh, by Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, to make that game 4-1 to one early on, um, and... I had been killing Jackie on this podcast last week for being the least clutch player on the team, um, not just from what I've seen, but statistically he has been. Uh, and then to deliver on that stage, I thought was just incredible. Um, the other two amazing things were uh, the two bombs from uh, Edwin Encarnacion, which that guy's amazing. Uh, and then David Ortiz having the last word in that game was just so incredibly fitting and uh, really just typical David Ortiz. Yeah, I mean, I did, I do remember, and saying on this podcast um, that the difference between JBJ this year and other years is he's still streaky. I mean, obviously he is, his numbers have just gone steadily downhill, but. 
the one thing that is different is that he bangs the ball. Like even if he, even when he's slumping, his hits are home runs. Um, and you know, part of me with him, it's just like, it's been so long since he's had a hot month and we've seen him do it three different times. What if it just happens, you know? Right. What if it happens right now? That would just be the best thing. Yeah. If, if he got hot right now, that would be a massive boon for this team. Just, uh, really incredible for, for their push here in the last 20 games. And, you know, right now, as we're, as we're recording this podcast, the Red Sox are up big time on the Orioles, the first game of their homestand, kicking that off. Um, and they've got a real shot to, make up some pretty serious ground between themselves and uh, the rest of the division because all 20 of the games remaining in their schedule are all against divisional opponents. Well, I mean, it's not making up ground at the moment. It's trying to put some, put some ground. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's brutal, but I think that the season has been, strange in how not strange it's been because the last four years have all been extremes so we've been very we've been going at the point we predicted we'd get to the whole season uh, but every fluctuation has felt really potentially uh, uh, permanent because we've seen it happen um, just like something to hit and the and this year it hasn't happened that way. This is exactly where we thought we would be. This is the, the high end. Um, but we knew it was going to be close. And it was, knew it was going to come down to these games, which is why if they make the playoffs, and I expect them to, simply by virtue of being there, I think they will have accomplished a ton and just sort of put themselves uh, – you just got to get in it, you know, with so many teams now. You just got to get in it. Uh and I, they've put themselves in a great chance and uh, in a great position. Yeah, well, currently they sit in a 93.4% playoff chance uh, for getting in right now. So I, we can we can talk about them actually getting in with a pretty solid uh, level of certainty. I think the, the biggest question remaining with this team is, you know, do they get in with that one-game wild card uh, spot or do they – win the division and right now um you know that that's that's still very much up in the air but i think by winning that series against toronto taking two out of three getting a two-game lead going into this homestand um they really upped their chances of winning that division significantly i mean this has to be the single most important three-game series that they played all season long would you agree with that well yeah and i think that Sometimes the matter of winning a division and, you know, the schedule makers have, you know, it's not an accident. The Red Sox are playing within the division so much at the end of the season. This is intentional, um, but it hasn't always been this way. And it's not a case where the Red Sox just have to do the best they can and that hope that things bounce their way. No, they're, they're right in the teeth of it. So... If they win the division, they're gonna go win it against the people they're fighting against. It's you know, it's 
this is direct combat. Well, in a way, I think that that's a good thing, though, because the Red Sox are going to be in the mode of playing essentially playoff baseball for a long period of time. This isn't a team that if they get into the postseason, they're going to be coasting, you know, with a a comfy lead like the Cubs. These are going to be some really battle-hardened, grizzled Red Sox players by the end of this, and I think you can look at that two ways. Like, either that's a good thing because they're going to be super sharp and on their game, or that's a bad thing because they're going to be gassed by that point. How do you look at that scenario? Well, it's, it's those are two really interesting polls because to be grizzled, you sort of also have to be in the position of where it is possible you will get tired because you can only get grizzled by going through these experiences that age you to the point, you know, that you're older and you get, you sort of wears you out. So yeah, you can see it both ways. You know, you look at the Red Sox, particularly the pitching staff, and if, you know, when they put it together, you could say every one of them has had, like, some sort of defining setback either this season or prior to the season, like David Price at the beginning of the season. Drew Pomerantz's entire prospect career, um, Rick Porcello last year, and now he's, you know, whatever wins, but... 20-game winner, doing something right. Uh, Stephen Wright, obviously, that's a self-explanatory. And then even if Clay Buckholz is salvaging himself now and, and Joe Kelly, but obviously with these guys, uh, especially the guys who have had trouble more recently, is the potential to revert to that exists. However, all everybody needs to do, and this is exactly what happened in 2013, everybody just plays a little bit better the bonuses compound right Um, and that is it's not always a possibility but i don't think there's any point at the season uh except for maybe recently and hopefully going forward that everyone has played well are you saying that everybody's played well in the last week or so no, I'm saying that at least right now, Price has been pitching. You know, oh. been pitching well. Porcello right. uh, has, and like Wright is obviously not playing, so that's not. Um, he is the exemption, though. He was the, you know, he's the exception. He was the exception at the beginning of the season too, when he was great. Um, so it's possible, um, and you know, Kimbrel too. It's just, it's always possible that Campbell just goes on a run where he's untouchable. We haven't seen it. Um, I I got the sense after this series and after the road trip finished up that for the first time, maybe, maybe really even all season that all of the elements of this team were finally starting to come in to uh, into line in the optimal way for the first time all year because there's been so many different elements of this team that have been uh, good at different times. You've had the offense, which has been um, pretty amazing, uh, typically uh, really extremely amazing the first half of the season. They've been a very good second half offense too, but not quite as good as they were in the first half. And then the starting pitching, we all know how bad it was in the first half. That's really come along uh, in the, the second half of the year, especially from August forward. And then in this past week, We've seen uh, a, a tremendous amount of growth within the bullpen, the additions of 
Brad Ziegler, Koji Uihara coming back healthy, uh, Joe Kelly figuring some things out at AAA. They've all come up, and they stabilized the back end of the bullpen, uh, which only allowed just two earned runs on this past uh, trip. So with all those three things kind of coming together, they're playing good defense. They're scoring a lot of runs right now. Starting pitching looks as dialed in as it's been all season long, with the exception of how Buckholtz pitched uh, in that last game. And then now with the back end of the bullpen more solidified, this is looking to me to be the most complete team in the American League right now. Is that something that you have seen as well, or are you still a little unsure about some of these elements no i think you're right um uh, cleveland's pretty good uh texas is texas but i think you're right i mean this is the team that the red sox it's not exactly the team they designed uh but especially with buckles and kelly uh what's happened with them but they have all the pieces and they're, they're all there. And finally they're all, they're like, even Moncada is here. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, he was getting killed for that stolen base though, wasn't he? Or lack thereof. Yeah, but whatever. He's, he's a little kid child. He's, he's, <laughs> he's probably younger than June. June Lee. Respect. Uh, yeah. Respect. He, but that he, guy, he almost certainly is. Yeah, exactly, which is hard to do. Of course, June now writes for the ringer because of course, whatever. <laughs> this is all this is all love. Um but uh it's they have all the pieces like Benintendi, Moncada and like Ziegler has been uh I'm making the spicy meatball hand gesture. Like that dude uh has really tied us over I think to the point that now everyone's getting back and Kelly's in his new role. It's exciting. It's exciting. You know, there's not, there just can't be a, they, they can't fluke into whatever's going to happen. They're either going to win it or lose it right here. It's not a platitude. It's just because they're playing the people that they're competing against. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about who they are competing against though, because this has become really uh, in my estimation, the best uh, race for the division that uh, we've seen in several years. I mean, the uh, the other one that comes to mind uh, is the NL Central uh, from the past few seasons. Uh, they got three playoff teams in last year. But really, when you look at this right now, um, the Yankees are only four games out of first place, and they're in fourth place in the division. Um with 20 games to go, this is truly uh, anybody's division at this point, and certainly nothing is assured from a playoff standpoint. But I wanted to look at each one of these individual teams uh, one by one and kind of assess who the biggest threat is. So the team I want to start off with uh, is the team the Red Sox are playing tonight, um, the Baltimore Orioles. Um, and really, I was kind of surprised when I looked up the numbers for the Baltimore Orioles at what sort of a, a palace of mediocrity their clubhouse has become uh, over the second half of the season. In July, uh, they posted a 462 winning percentage. Uh, in August, 448. September, they're doing a little bit better. They're 6-3 and three so far in September. Um, but really, this, to me, 
and we're seeing it right now as we talk. You know, they're they're putting up another tremendously bad pitching performance by Wade Miley. Uh, this looks like a team that is losing ground and losing ground very fast. And I'm not so sure that I view Baltimore as the same threat that I did uh, even just a few weeks ago. Oh, no, they're uh, – this is – you know, we it's always sort of felt like smoke and mirrors with Baltimore. I mean, I remember talking – before the season, uh, I don't know if it was on this podcast or a different one, where uh, we were talking about the, the Orioles and the way they always have these really weird personnel things that happen with Andrew Cat related to physicals um, and then just the way they conduct free agency. And we were like, oh, you know, I wonder if that's going to hurt them. Uh, just the way they do business people. It's like, no, the problem is when you have Giovanni Gallardo as like your number one starter that you sign at March 1st, um, there's there's always been mediocrity everywhere in the organization. Uh, and to, to their credit, and maybe to Buck Showalter's credit, and I generally am not a Buck Showalter fan, but I respect that that dude gets things out of people as insofar as I think people can do that. Um, but I'm not worried about them. Uh, I, I see mediocrity too, and especially compared to the Red Sox, which is like the offense is, you know, it's incredible. I mean, it's, that's the one thing I don't want to get too far off topic here, but I think we take for granted how ridiculous the Red Sox offense is this year. Um, or yeah. at least this, you know, the six players who are just great. Um, it's been crazy. 790 runs scored. Toronto and Baltimore have, you know, offenses that we would describe as well above average. Offenses that would be close to league leaders on any given year. They're at 689 and 677 runs scored, respectively. More than 100 runs less. So yeah. it's it's so, really incredible. So, yeah, especially when I look at the Orioles – Compared to the Red Sox, I see mediocrity. To answer your question in a very lengthy manner, the answer is yes. Yeah, so it wouldn't be all that surprising to me to see them really handle those guys in this series at home, and then they have four against those guys on the road next week. So um, I view that sort of as a good thing. The next opponent, though, that the Red Sox are going to be going up against is a really interesting one uh, in the New York Yankees who, you know, against uh, certainly um, my judgment, I didn't think that Cashman would pull the trigger on this, um, but, you know, he did sell off some pieces at the deadline and got some really good prospects back, and I was kind of impressed that the Yankees actually decided to sell, but uh, since that time, they've actually been a really good baseball team. They went 17-11 and 11 in August. Uh, so far in September, they're 7-3. and three. Uh, I think this is a little bit fluky. I don't think they're quite this good a team. Um, but they're sort of on a the complete opposite trajectory that the Orioles are on right now. And this is a team that I got to say I am more worried about than I ever thought I would be at this point in the season. I'm not worried that like the Red Sox are going to lose the division to these guys. But I'm worried that these games could be relatively difficult. You know, the Yankees are the bad guys in Major League, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they are the bad guys in every single way, as far as I'm concerned. However, what they're doing right now is kind of the plot of Major League, <laughs> um, and uh, I would like it to stop. And furthermore, I do think I think it will stop um, because I think they're at a generally unsustainable level of production. You don't think um, Gary Sanchez is Barry Bonds in his prime? Yeah, but here's the problem. Sandy Leone is too. <laughs> so, or he was. He was, so, yeah. Like how, how, you know, it's the exact same thing that happened to us. Um, he, here's a sort of on-topic question. Could Tanaka win, sh- t- could or should Tanaka win the Cy Young? So I've thought about that. Um, I've been thinking about the Cy Young race a lot since Rick Porcello has put himself in that position. And I think that Hold on, hold on, time out. Yep. No, he hasn't. Continue. <laughs> oh, he absolutely has. <laughs> we will go back and forth on this all podcast if we need to. But you will understand that Rick Porcello is a top three Cy Young candidate by the end of it. Um, Tanaka has everything necessary, I believe, to be in that conversation. I think he finishes in the top five of the discussion, but I don't think he has enough uh, juice to surpass uh, Kluber, who I think is going to win the award, uh, and Chris Sale, who I think is going to finish second in that. But, yeah, he certainly inserted himself in that discussion. And uh, the fact that he's got a UCL that my understanding was hanging on by a thread like two years ago, and he's still pitching uh, this well is a testament to him. But... You know, when Rick Porcello has three more games, one under his belt and finishes, you know, 23 and whatever um, with uh, ERA right around three and uh, finishes ahead of him in the Cy Young voting, I will call you at late hours of the night to tell you this. All right. Well, hold on. I want to I want to tell you what you just said to me, which, you know, because you just said it. But you said you argue that he's a top top three Cy Young contender. Mm -hmm. Fine. Fine, he's a top three contender. Yes, I he's win. He's not Corey Kluber or Chris Sale. No, he's uh, not, but he's going and, to get votes because of the wins. Sure. I don't – I wouldn't uh, – I do not deny that, but I think that uh, – and I, it's nothing against Porcello who it's like he uh, – man, he went out – he's gone out there this year and just earned it, you know. He's just gone out there and earned it every day. He's been great. Um but he's not Chris Sale or Corey Kluber. Those two guys are just, I think, a, just a level better of uh, of pitchers, which, no, you know, no disrespect. It's just appreciation, I hope. Both of them pitched on Sunday, by the way, Kluber and Sale, and both pitched incredibly well. And I think Kluber kind of punctuated that with the slightly better outing, but it's it's going to be a really close race. I think that I give it to Kluber only because his team's better. And he's probably going to finish with more wins uh, and make the playoffs. But it, and he wasn't involved in the two most ridiculous scandals, and not the protagonist in the <laughs> single most ridiculous scandal of the entire season. Yeah, that, yeah. The um, uh, the scissor incident. Uh, just exquisite. Anyhow, that was amazing. Well, that was one it, of the most amazing storylines of this it, entire year, right? Yeah. So. Probably like you, I have a lot of friends who just know me as the sports journalist. Oh, I don't have like any just, friends. Okay, so just <laughs> a friend to like if they if something happens in sports and they end up knowing about it, they always just text me because like I'm that guy. Yeah, and that happened with me with the sale thing much more <laughs> than anything else. People were just like, "What the f- poop is happening here?" 
I loved the pictures of him as Edward Scissorhands circling around the Twitterverse. That was probably my favorite thing to come of that. Okay. Anyhow, let me get back <laughs> to the to the Yankees thing very quickly. Yeah. Just I believe that the Red Sox are a better team than the Yankees. I believe that the Yankees are playing way above their heads. There's no they could keep doing it, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Do you know if those games are in New York or in Boston? Uh, which ones? The one, the first, either set coming up. Are there uh, the, the first set coming up is in Boston. So right. the, right. the, the 15th through the 18th, four-game set in Boston. Um, and then there's a three-game set, 27th, 28th, and 29th, uh, the second to last season of the year uh, in Yankee Stadium. So... Okay, well, I'm going to – you don't have to accept on this podcast, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go to one of those games. You make it down here, the ticket's on me, buddy. All right. I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to make that work then because I have never been to Yankee Stadium. So it uh, looks like I'm catching the feng wah. Yeah, that's what's up. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I hope that the Red Sox are able to beat the Yankees because if the Yankees beat them this year, it would be bad. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, I think that what the Yankees are doing is largely unsustainable and pretty remarkable. But um, Brett Gardner, Ellsbury, Gary Sanchez, and Didi Gregorius making up your top four spots uh, is certainly not going to match anything close to what the Red Sox are able to trot out there. And, you know, you mentioned Tanaka Aside from Tanaka, they've got Luis Sessa, Brian Mitchell, CeCe Sabathia, and Michael Pineda. Um, this is just simply not a scary team on paper, and I think that they're winning because they do have some good pieces, and they're obviously a well-coached team, but they are playing so far above their heads. Uh, I, I totally agree, and I'm not sure that they can sustain the run that they've been on all the way through uh, September. So, um I do like Pineda though. That I, I can't I cannot lie. I do like Pineda. I like Pineda too. I think he's a really good player. Um, but that aside, that brings me to the final opponent, uh, which is Toronto, who the Red Sox just faced. Um, Toronto has been playing really good baseball though in the second half. Aside from really what we've seen in September where they've gone two and seven. Uh, they had a winning percentage of 667 and 607 in July and August, respectively. They had been playing really good baseball. But again, I mean, this is a team that looks to just be sputtering at the wrong time right now. And when the Red Sox caught them, uh, it was a really good time because they caught the Toronto Blue Jays during a time when uh, Donaldson was in the midst of the worst slump that I've seen from him uh, since I can remember watching Josh Donaldson, I think he had an 0 for 20 in there at one point um, and looked pretty unproductive at the plate, even made some uncharacteristic errors in the field during the series. Um, Joey Bats has not looked himself. Edwin is on complete fire, so he's been fine. Um, and the pitching, I think, has taken a step back from those guys. Uh, Estrada was not his self. Uh, Aaron Sanchez looks to be tiring a little bit down the stretch. Uh, J.A. Happ did have a good start, but uh, this is a team that looks more beatable, I think, than at any point throughout the year as well. What's your take on those guys? There's, I still think they're the, the scariest. I mean, I just think that might just be reputation. It also might be 
you know, if if you remember and you do, Jose Bautista hitting that home run last year, you're just like, I'm never going to count these guys out um, because that was, you know, majestic. Um, and that place gets loud. And uh, this is probably something I remember better than you. But when they won those two World Series. Uh, oh, yeah, I don't remember that at all. Right. I, I figured. But like, <laughs> like when. When that building gets loud, it's just something about it is terrifying. Um, so I think the Red Sox are better, but uh, they seem the scariest because when they win, it tends to feel scarier. So let's talk. And, about- they, ha- and they have future Red Sox legend Edwin Encarnacion. That's a good point, and that's something I wanted to bring up. So I think it's pretty much a lock that they sign him in the offseason to replace David Ortiz. I think something around the order of four years, $100 million. What do you think about that? Do you think they're going to go after him? Yeah, I think that will. I think it will be more money than that. Uh, I would say maybe four years, 120 I mean, the dude can hit, and the Red Sox have money. Um, and... Uh, you know, I mean, he or Bautista or both of them have talked, like, you know, that they, they want to get paid. Um, so I'll take one or both. That'd be, you know, whatever. It's I don't want Bautista, though. I don't want anything to do with him. I think he's a bad year aside. I think he's going to command maybe even more money um, because he does play the field and he has that. Uh, slightly longer track record, I think, of success. Um, I, I, I just think Edwin's the better fit for the team. And sure. It does kind of scare me because did you see him against Kimbrell, though? He didn't look like he could catch up to the, the fastball the same way that he used to be able to. That's great. That's what, that's why we should sign him because we don't have to face Kimbrell. <laughs> Discount. I, I see what you're going for. Um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting here in in the stretch, though. So if I had to ask you, out of those three teams, though, you you do think that Toronto still poses the biggest threat down the stretch? Yes. Okay. I think the the team least likely to make the playoffs is the Orioles. I think you talked about them in the the order that they uh, that they are increasingly. Uh, t- to make the playoffs. Oh, interesting. So you actually think the Yankees, with the momentum they're on, have a good chance of surpassing the Toronto, uh, the Orioles? I think that, it, it, like, if you think about it in a simulation mm-hmm. type way, that if the Yankees continue playing well, I feel like they can really just they can win a bunch of games. Whereas the Orioles. Uh, I don't see any evidence that they can, you know, that they're going to be good for the rest of the year. There is some evidence the Yankees could be. What I'm saying is I think that their luck is going to end, but they certainly are playing really well right now. So it's easier to see how they could continue doing that. Yeah, I I think that's probably theoretically right saying, on. theoretically speaking, though. Some statisticians will say that there's no such thing as a hot streak because it's all arbitrary endpoints, and I'm not – I we, I don't want to get into that, but I'm just saying I think about these things when I say things like that. 
You know, if I if I had to guess, I would say that Toronto probably ends up second in the division with Baltimore behind them and the Yankees uh, in, in fourth place still. Uh, I just think some of that magic is going to run out, and they have to play the Red Sox two more times as well. I know Baltimore does as well, but uh, I don't know. I just it's it's tough for me to count out Baltimore because they seem to be able to make good things out of mediocre parts, like you mentioned. So. Um, I just think they've got one more little run in them. Hopefully not against the Red Sox, though. Um, so I, I wanted for a second to uh, prognosticate here. So we're already talking about these three teams, and I want to look at the division as a whole and kind of look forward over the next three seasons. And I wanted you to answer this question for me. Over the next three seasons, the blank – are the Red Sox biggest competition in the AL East? It has to be the Yankees. I 100% I, agree. I, it, it, you know, whether they can continue this this year, they're shedding contracts and they have, you know, they print money. Money is not an issue. They're shedding contracts and they have a new core. And then that's what the Yankees need, as you know. If they have a core, they can build around the core. Right. Um, when they've tried to, like, even when they had members of the quote-unquote core four, they were much older. Like, there wasn't a – what they had all passed free agency, so it wasn't building around that. Um, when they try to just add superstars to nothing, you know, to other free agents, it doesn't work. But much like the Red Sox, who have a – very strong core uh they're uh they're ready to spend and uh they're good yeah yeah i i think sorry battling definitely the yankees yeah i think things could get pretty bad in short order for the toronto blue jays we mentioned it already josh donaldson edwin and carnacion being up for i mean uh edwin and uh joey bats being up for contract um Russell Martin and Troy Tulowitzki not exactly enjoying the same success that they had in seasons past. They're getting a little bit older. Um, Josh Donaldson is really the only guy locked into his prime right now that could still be on that team by next year. Um, so, so things could get dicey for those guys. Baltimore, I think Manny Machado probably ends up walking to a huge money deal, maybe to the Yankees. Um, when his contract's up, I believe that's up in 2017 or 2018. Um, and with the Rays, I just don't think they have enough impact talent in their farm system right now. And Evan Longoria is not getting any younger. So, yeah. I, I, he actually I, kind of is this year, though. Oh, yeah. He's having a really good year. I yeah. have to give him that. But when you look at what the Yankees did, I mean, that system – and. I know we won't go into minor league players uh, today, but, I mean, Aaron Judge, Gleber Torres, Clint Frazier, Dylan Tate, Jorge Mateo, uh, Gary Sanchez, who's you know hitting like Babe Ruth right now, um, they really do have a lot of very nice pieces uh, that, that could be on that team for a significant period of time. I think they, they can figure out some of their pitching questions. And the dude, and you didn't even say, the dude who didn't even play this year, Bird? Oh, yeah, Greg Bird's coming back next year from surgery yeah. to replace Teixeira. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting club that's going to have several hundred million dollars to spend over the next uh, 
two, three, four seasons. And it makes it even more critical that you come down to this game when we will, when we will be the dominant force still. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But you know what though? It, even with all that, all these prospects aside that the that the Yankees have and all the money that they can spend, even in a doomsday scenario, they get Harper, they get Machado, a bunch of these guys come up and actually make it. That doesn't change the fact that we're looking at Pedroia, Bogarts, Betts, Hanley Ramirez, Jackie Bradley Jr., Ben Intendi. This core for the Red Sox is here, it's now, and it's locked in. And those guys are certainties. I mean... It's good to be a Red Sox fan right now. Really good, no matter what the Yankees do. Yeah, it's uh, it is that that's that's the thing. I'm I, you know I'm sort of intentionally harking uh, harkening back to an era where the Yankees were just uh, the model. You know, they were the the empire. Sure, they're not anymore. I remember uh, it well. I remember swearing into pillows and screaming Bill Miller's name as. The Red Sox lost in 2003. Not that he had anything to do with it, but, you know, I just loved me some Bill Miller. I definitely, yeah, we've definitely talked about the fact I was at that game. Yes. Yes, I figured. Yeah, that was, that was a really good podcast, by the way. That was a fun one when we reminisced about what could have been with, uh, with A-Rod. You know, this is a good segue to the, to the, uh, to the next topic. Yes. Your article, uh, article that, I really enjoyed. Uh, so Brian wrote an article, The Human Element of Fandom for Over the Monster. Um, so, Brian, I'll let you kind of summarize that article, and then we can kind of get into that a little bit. So I just – I uh, I get into this in the article. I just always wanted to – as a kid, I always wanted to be a Red Sox beat reporter. I thought it was like the greatest job in the world. Um, and as I've – grown up and sort of didn't go through that career path uh a couple things have happened one sort of having a different breadth of experience in journalism has made me look at that job differently i don't know if now if you ask me to go again and do it if that's what i would choose it you know really reflected my desire as a kid to live in boston and sort of prove my red sox fanness um, and then the second part of that um, is that I got the chance a few years ago to start writing for the Monster and then for BP Boston when it started last year. Uh, and I've taken it and I really liked writing for it. And th- it was sort of born out of the idea that I was almost like I don't even know what to write about anymore because between all the simply just the just the newspaper people who are, you know, not the online people, not even talking about anyone involved in the website that this is going to be on or the other website that I write for uh, is, you know, there's the Globe and the Herald and the Projo and WEI and Nessen. Not to it's, mention MLB themselves and their Red Sox writers and ESPN what? Boston and Exactly. All these other places. Yes, Boston. And then you get SB Nation and yep. then you get fan sided and then you get Bleacher Report and like just constant, 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 constant. That you know there's so many people writing and you could and you and I talked about this a little bit beforehand that you can if you just followed like what Alex Spear 
sends out in his newsletter for the Globe and like the Projo guys, Tim Britton and Brian McPherson, you'd have a pretty good idea what's going on. But there's hundreds of people who write. So why why do so many of us, you and I included, put content out there when the marginal value is so low? And it, it just gets to me uh, – it reminded me of how we talk about the human element in baseball, how – it can get romanticized, but also sort of get dragged through the mud, uh, sort of this imperfection that we live with. And in the media community right now, it's just we're so oversaturated with the stuff and we keep doing it. And it's just the only reason we keep doing it is because it's just like, yep, uh, we there are some things we're just not going to learn and we're just going to work around it uh, in, in a way. Yeah, it, it is a complete oversaturation, and it, the article really hit home with me because I I think I felt a, a very similar way when I was young. You know, I wanted to watch every game and know every stat and just kind of follow it to a point where people knew me as knowing the Red Sox. You know, that was that was an important thing for a while, and. Um, you know, this past year I went on vacation for eight days and I came back and I like tried to catch up on the different Red Sox sites and things that I get my information from. And you mentioned, you know, half dozen of the ones that I try and read. And I was just like, I came back and it was, it was impossible for me. I was like, all right, I am just, uh, I'm starting at square square one here and I'm just going to look at the box and, you know, go from there because there's just so much information coming out. Um, there's no way we can really consume it all. And I think, uh, at least for me, the reason why I, I feel it's important for me to put out my opinion about the Red Sox is because I am a fan of the team and because also I just want to make sure that there's something else out there that's not groupthink. And I think that sometimes, and I, you get this especially on Twitter, you get a lot of people seeing one idea and then, you know, kind of snowballing that idea. And you get several different people all, you know, in line with that. And I think having an area where healthy debate about things that might even be considered mundane parts of the season can be discussed can only be a good thing for the fans out there that are consuming it. I agree. Uh, I agree with that. I just think, um, and this is a huge, you know, a huge part of this is being older and having more things in my life to which I turn, you know, in my spare time. Um, but you know, the idea sort of just of being an athlete being a fan is sort of a proxy for being an athlete in a way. And the idea that uh, we need to live and die with every single thing that happens is sort of an outdated idea the same way that the idea that like in the NBA, like everyone had to come for morning practices all the time. And the two a days were always good in football. And like in the NBA, they learned that, uh, Doc Rivers was huge on this with the Celtics. That like sleep, sleep was very, very important for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I, a lot of what I was writing was 
doesn't really address this directly, but it's just uh, th- the Twitter. Like, first of all, if, if any uh, move gets announced, like over the PA or through an email uh, or whatever from Red Sox PR, every you know one person from every beat will from every place will will tweet it. It's not like the White House has a pool report. And like, <laughs> right. There's one person like, and with the Red Sox, really you could just have a pool reporter. But the, the difference being that the White House reporters are trying to conserve resources, whereas the Red Sox reporters are trying to sort of exploit them, trying to exploit every piece of news um, the Red Sox put out. Though that's pretty much the case with the White House now, anyway. But um, uh, it's it's um it's just it's just a lot it's just a lot and and even trying to write about it twice a week now is hard for me and uh i'm not i'm not asking for sympathy people write about the red sox several times a day but the whole whole point of the column and it will almost certainly be a bunch of the similar columns going forward is that uh, I'm just going to deal with it out in the open. So see what I want to say about the team in the environment where everybody is saying everything. You know, that's an interesting point, that the, the, the struggle for ideas. And I, I think I even felt that today coming into this podcast uh, and just doing this weekly. Because sometimes you get to a point in the season, and I think the Red Sox are at that point right now, where they're in the driver's seat, they have two games on the rest of the division, they have to play 20 games against the rest of the division, everything's set up, there's not really a whole lot to dissect at this point, they just need to simply execute and play baseball. And we need to sit back and watch that happen and see where things fall. And at certain points in the season that that's what there is and it almost seems like the baseball idea machine out there is just on this constant hunt for hot takes about things that don't deserve hot takes if if that makes any sense you're almost manufacturing things to talk about when there isn't anything meaningful to discuss yeah but but at the same time uh to be fair to a great number of people who are effectively subtweeted in the article. And I think that group includes myself because I'm talking about bad habits that I have mm-hmm. um, as, as well as I'm talking. Like, I think that as Twitter, as with everything else, especially in my sort of cocoon of Red Sox writers and Twitter people, is that you are much more likely to get pissed off at somebody who is just like you, but just a little bit different. <laughs> like yeah. this friend, uh, friend who lived in Germany for a while says, "There's a word for there's a word for everything in German, but it's the tyranny of small differences." Like that's, and this is like when I, I grew up in Martha's Vineyard, and I'd like to say Nantucket should be s- sunk into the ocean, which you can evacuate it first, but it should be sunk into the ocean. But, <laughs> but um, do you wear Nantucket Reds? You know, okay, very quick tangent. I worked at a clothing store in Brothers Vineyard that was called Brickman's. They 
we sold the same exact pants. I mean, the same exact pants as Nantucket Reds at like the main Nantucket Red store. And I know because we sent, we would send the pants to each other and change the labels. Um, but since the store was named Brickman's, we called them Brick Reds because it was not Nantucket. And it's pretty much Brick Red exactly. So, uh, so no. And I've never owned a pair anyway. So no. Well, neither have I, so I'm happy Good. we share that in comments. But so you are on the water. I looked up Weymouth right as I was right as I was pulling this up. You are on the water. I am. Yep. But I'm not from here, so that is that is a new new equation for me. I'm actually from the central part of the state. Oh. I was gonna say, and this is a terrible joke, is you know, you're not from Weymouth, you're from Way Butt, because the butt and the mouth are far away from each other. They yeah, that that's a yeah. that's that's not great. Personally, editor <laughs> B. Boston. <laughs> Hope we made you proud just then. Oh man! All right. Well, either way, uh, definitely check out that article by Brian because it is worth a read, and uh, it 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 certainly hit home with me who does cover the team in my own way that I do. So, uh, very interesting. What one last thing? Um, yeah. I do think that this conversation is very much um, – it is sort of a way of talking about what the players are going through too. If we choose to cover the team for a whole season, we are running into the same walls in a lot of ways that I think they do too um, metaphorically. Like just sticking with this thing for so long, it's hard no matter how you do it. It makes what they do look even more impressive. Um, that they do something that requires far more concentration than what we do. Right. If it feels like a mental grind to us, it's unimaginable how that feels to them actually playing that 182-game slate and making every flight that they do and you know, waking up for all these games and medical treatment beforehand. Yeah, it's, it's a monumental thing that they take on every single year and uh, pretty amazing. The one thing I was shocked about, though, I recently read that the NBA – has more time in the air than uh, MLB does, which I was a little surprised about, but then I thought about three and four game sets that they play and stuff, and it kind of makes sense. But um, still, the, the sheer amount of time that it goes on for is just, it's stunning. You know, it's and and just to that end, if, if they're, I mean, Portland, I'm sure, uh, spent, well, Seattle did, let me just say, the Supersonics would almost certainly have the most time in the air out of any team, but the Seahawks compared to other NFL teams, oh. time in the air is so much more. Yeah, they, they, I saw, I don't remember, it's an article like 10 years ago, but like they, it dwarfs every other team. It's such a disadvantage. I, I wonder how they deal with that but that's a they take a lot of they take a lot of hgh their secondary has proven that over the years yes that is true um so i wanted to talk about the playoffs here because we are at that point where we can start discussing it like i mentioned and i wanted to ask you before we kind of wrap up this show as things stand right now out of the teams that the red Sox could potentially face in the playoffs the teams look like they're locks you know, Cleveland, Texas, teams like that. Who would you most like to see in the first round, and who would you most like not to see? Um, so, 
I actually hate to admit this, but I don't know. Could the Red Sox play a team in their division if that team won the play-in game? Or can they only play a team in their division in the um, championship series still? Because that was the case for a while, that you couldn't I th- wild- I think sure. that they can only do that in the championship season okay. for some series for some reason. So it's really just a matter of uh, because, frankly, if they make the wild card game, you're really not in any position to choose anything. Right. Um, so you know, in that case, it uh, you know, if they win the division, it's basically who'd rather play the Rangers, the Indians, and I think the answer would be. The Rangers. I agree. I feel less worried about the Rangers pitching. And I think that they have had, and we talked about this a little bit last week on the show, but a little bit more luck than any of the other teams. They've done very well in close games and one run games and extra inning games. Um, their differential is not what other good teams in the MLB are right now. It's just plus 21. Uh, I totally agree. I think that the Rangers are far and away the, the less scary of those two clubs. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, if the Red Sox win the division, I'll be pleased as punch because if they do it, given who they have to face, they're going to be in a good position if they don't win. Uh, it's it's such a weird year. I and mean, just Especially then you get down to the awards, like as we were talking about the Cy Young. Who's the AL MVP? Mike Trout. But he – okay. Let me ask you a question. Yep. Who's going to – people say, oh, whoever wins the MVP – doesn't mean he's the MVP. I want to meet halfway between those two ideas. The idea that the best player should win the MVP and then the way people vote. Based on the way people vote, it can only be one of two players. It's only going to be Moogie Betts or Jose Altuve. See, I don't think that there's any chance it could be Moogie Betts. I mean, okay. that's not that's not true. Because of David Ortiz? And Xander Bogarts and Dustin Pedroia. Jackie Bradley Jr. and Hanley Ramirez, and the fact that Jose Altuve is 411 and is going to win the batting title by 100 points. I mean, that I uh, I understand that that is there's a lot of subjective factors in there and obviously exaggerated factors, but to me. I don't consider it tragic if Jose Altuve wins the MVP because among many similarly qualified candidates, and he is similarly uh, qualified to Mike Trout. Oh, yeah. um, He's up there. That – 23 home runs. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. It's shocking. This is considerably better at the the plate than Pedroia's MVP season. I mean – 
considerably better. And Pedroia's MVP season was good. Um, I just think that with the quality of Altuve the, and the, the depth of Boston's uh, lineup, the ineptness of the Angels and the potential flame out of the Blue Jays and maybe voter fatigue with Donaldson, you know, um, I can see voters thinking like, well, if we're going to give somebody a second award, it might might as well be Trout because he's better than Donaldson. Um, but then saying, well, but we're actually going to go with Altuve because we want to preserve sort of the middle ground between the old and new ideas. And I'm OK with that. That's that's my grand theory of the whole thing. I largely agree with you. I think that there is going to be a lot of voter fatigue on both Trout and Donaldson. I think so unfairly to Trout, this guy should have MVPs in every single year that he has played. I think the only one you can actually argue is the year that Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown, and I think that the Triple Crown's just so sexy that despite war really favoring Trout, that probably wasn't too badly mishandled. Um but it is going to be kind of ridiculous to look back at Trout's career with all the missed MVPs. But um, yeah, but but not really because if there's one thing I know about baseball reporters, um, as I was talking about not ten minutes ago about our tendency to beat everything into the ground repeatedly, there will be no no misinterpretation of just how good Mike Trout has been. I'm not worried about that. That's that's why I'm like, if Mike Trapp doesn't win this MVP, it's not a crime because he's – everyone knows how good Mike Trout is, which I just want to pause that thought because to talk sort of um, horizontally, during this po- – the very beginning of this podcast, David Ortiz tied Mickey Mantle for home runs. <laughs> Mickey Mantle. That's crazy. David Ortiz tied Mickey Mantle for home runs. It's insane. Um, and I will, I'm going to tell you this right now. I bet Mike Trout beats both of them. Yeah, that wouldn't be shocking to me at all. I think Mike Trout's got a shot to be, uh, I don't know. I think of him pretty much the same way that I thought of, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. in his prime, except I think Mike Trout's better. I think of him more like Willie Mays. Okay. I think he's, I think he's basically, uh, stat-wise and skill-wise, seems like the same, just package of excellence. Every like Griffey was good, but Griffey didn't really hit for average. Um, he did sometimes because he was just so good, but that was not his game. Trout's game is just doing everything. But. Maze is the better fielder. Yeah, but but be, even between these three guys, like who's who's the better fielder between Maze, Trout, and Griffey? It's like, all right, well, <laughs> it's like who, it's, who's yeah? It's, Griffey's the best fielder out of those three, right? He has to be. Does he? Ten, ten Gold Gloves straight, right? Come on with gold gloves, though. Like, if we're just talking about MVP. No, nah, but he ball. earned his gold gloves. Yeah, oh, I'm not saying – I don't know, man. There was no UZR. <laughs> there was no – There's. No, I mean, I'm sure he was great. He was – but uh, – That's it. Gold, I'm giving it to Tris Speaker. 
I mean, go for it. <laughs> Though, if you think about it, he's probably a horrible racist. I'm sorry, Tris. If you weren't Tris, I, I apologize. Yeah, don't lump him in with Ty. You don't know how he thought. Yeah, I don't. Uh, so, as we uh, recorded this, the Red Sox just won 12-2, to and David Price went eight strong with nine strikeouts, and more importantly, zero walks. Uh, I think it's officially time to say uh, definitively that David Price is the ace that the Red Sox thought they were getting now. Uh, and I was listening to um, the ProJo podcast before, uh, well, I was cooking dinner actually tonight, and they mentioned that as things stand right now, he would line up to be um, the, I, I believe it would be the the wild card pitcher at this point. Uh, or which, which he, would make him the game one pitcher if they won the division, correct? Yeah, exactly. So uh, things are lining up so that the Red Sox will get their their guys when they need their guys uh, with the playoffs and all that good stuff. So I don't know though. That's I I let's just get there. We got. I mean, I won't be on this podcast if I'm on this podcast again. It will be. Uh, during the season, during the Red Sox season, it will be like during the World Series, so or during the ALCS. So that'll be a good um, time. Yeah, well, I mean, I really hope that I'm back. I hope that the Red Sox are playing the next time I'm on if if this keeps going. So uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, he's this is I've been writing. You know, I write column every other week. Price check. And while last week I sort of took a week off in that I had an interview with a metaphorical chip on David Price's shoulder. Um, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was really tough work. Uh, you know, I'm just going to transcribe these interviews with metaphors. Um, but DRA, which is the baseball perspective stat, served run average, has said all year the price has been excellent. And I mean, like, just cl- sub-Kluber sale level. Yeah. And uh, now that he's even improved, he's come like right up against them. Uh, I think he actually might be ahead of sale. Uh, he's not ahead of Kluber, but I think he might be ahead of sale. Um, for the record, Jose Fernandez is blowing everyone away, even Clayton Kershaw in that. Um, he needs to be on the Red Sox at some point in my life. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I See, really, they're, really they're, hope that happens. But he is. didn't he sign a huge – no. That no, was, he didn't. That was Stanton. Um, well, and he's a Boris guy. Yes. So, getting back to our earlier potentially uh, depressing discussion, where do you think that means he ends up? And when I, you want me to I, say the Yankees, but he's no, I don't want you to say you. the Yankees. I just want you to be truthful, and the answer is the Yankees. Um, but we'll see. Machado, Fernandez, Bryce Harper. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be very upsetting. Yes. Well, that that that's something for another time. So I, before we we wind down uh, here, I just want to mention uh, minor league seasons have wrapped up. Uh, we all kind of know what Benintendi's uh, end of the year has been. Uh, Moncada, we've talked about him at length, but uh, one of the other big three prospects that we haven't talked about in a long time. Because uh, we haven't done a check-in on the minors in a little bit is uh, Rafael Devers, 
And I thought he was worth mentioning, at least as we wrap up, because uh, his season started off really badly. He batted about 138, I think if I remember uh, correctly, in the first month of the season. 233 in the first half as a 19-year-old playing at high A uh, as a third baseman. And uh, just recently finished the season uh, with a 326 second half batting average and got his line all the way up to 282. Uh, 335, 443 slash line with 11 home runs. Uh, and like I mentioned, uh, 19 years old for high A is tremendously young for that level. So uh, I think you have to be encouraged with what Devers did this year. And he also proved he could play a little bit of third base, which was something that was a little bit in doubt. Um, so uh, good stuff there. Good stuff on the farm system. Continuously good stuff from position players on the farm. Well, the only question is, how bad do we need a third baseman? Like right now? Well, we have, I mean, we kind of have two. We kind of have zero. So um, you're saying use them to go get Fernandez? I mean. Trade him, Mercado? Him, yeah, him is a is loose term. He would just be part of it. No, I, uh, I but I do, it's weird, you you said the minor league uh, uh, season is over, but I see the Twins are still playing. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Got him. Got him. Got you, Minnesota. All right. So matchups for the uh, upcoming series uh, against Baltimore. Uh, today, as you're listening to this, it's Pomerantz versus the terrible Gallardo. Porcello versus Bundy the next night, both advantages for the Red Sox. Uh, and then the Yankees series starts. We have Eddie versus Tanaka, which is going to be a must-watch game on Thursday. Buckholtz versus Sesa, Price versus Mitchell, and Pomerantz versus CeCe. Uh, I think the Red Sox probably have the advantage in two of those four games. The Eddie versus Tanaka game I see as kind of a push, maybe slight advantage Tanaka. Wait, 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 wait. Yep. <laughs> How on earth is that a push? Yankees have been terrible against left-handed pitching this year, and Eddie has been pitching extremely well over his past three starts. That's fair. I uh, I hope you're right. I hope so too. So <laughs> I don't I don't want to I don't want to sound like a big homer on this, but I'm no, 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 it's fine. it's fine. Let's just go with it. Yeah, we'll we'll go with it. I think that Buckholtz Sessa one could be uh, really maddening to watch, or it could be okay. But I don't know. I might stay away from that game all com- altogether. Yeah. Um, I, three out of four. Just three out of four guys. Just do that. Yep. And it. I mean, the way it looks right now, the the Red Sox should be able to take all three of these against Baltimore. You never can bank on that, but, man, it looks right for the taking. Giovanni Gardo in September should be a spicy meatball. Yeah, absolutely. Also, in any other month. Yeah, he just stinks. He's not good. He's not good. And I I want, like, kudos to him for getting that money. But, yeah, no. All right, Brian. So anything else before we wrap up here? No, I apologize. I've been long-winded tonight, Twitter. Uh, Twitter, my God. BP whatever Boston. this is, whatever this forum is. I have many different media going on right now. <laughs> All the, right. Yeah. 
Well, Sorry. you guys can find us on iTunes. You can subscribe to us there, the Red Seat. Uh, you can rate and review us as well. Uh, you can do the same thing on Stitcher. Um, and you can also submit a question to us on the BP Boston site. You just click on any of our Red Seat podcasts, and there's a question box there you can submit a question to. Um, and, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at devjake, and you can follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Joyner, Brian with a Y, Joyner with an I. Uh, and we will be with you again next week. Uh, for Brian, this is Jake saying thanks for joining us, and we'll see you then.